Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus. We'll be reading Exodus 33, starting verse 17 through the first nine verses of chapter 34. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I've found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. So we come into uh, this text as Moses wants to see God's glory, but man cannot see God's full glory, right? In its, in its fullness, man cannot see his face, so to speak. For Moses to see God's glory in any form, uh, he was only allowed to see what is referred to in the text as, as the Lord's back. Uh, the word, it could be almost like the, the aftermath, right? The residual glory, so to speak, after the Lord had already passed through. So that's what he's able to see. But only in this place on top of the mountain where the Lord will put him in this cleft of a rock, almost like a kind of bunker or bomb shelter, so he's protected, and the Lord will put his hand over top of him, it says, providing, protecting, not allowing him to be destroyed. Even just for the back, even just for what, you know, the the aftermath of his glory. But the Lord does, in fact, reveal his glory to Moses. It's not just because it's not his face doesn't mean it's not 
truly a revelation. And how does he reveal it? He reveals it by proclaiming his name. That's how he does it. You know, when people think about seeing God's glory, what probably comes to mind is some kind of physical, visible manifestation, which is is true sometimes. That does happen. I think that was happening here with Moses. And yet, the primary way that God revealed his glory and made his glory visible, so to speak, was through proclamation. It was through words. It was through the declaration of his character. In this sense, we could say that seeing is not necessarily believing, but believing is seeing. So God does this work of revealing. He calls first Moses to come with with two new tablets that he cuts. Remember, uh, this is after Moses had broken the first two tablets of the Ten Commandments, broken these stones, this, this sign of the covenant that God made with him when he was coming down the mountain and he saw the people in a kind of uh, debaucherous partying around these, these golden calves, he broke them. And so now the Lord gives this sign of the covenant one more time. I can't help but think of this as an, almost another giving of, uh, it's not another covenant, but perhaps a way that is foreshadowed of a new covenant that would be given when the Mosaic covenant would be broken the Lord calls him to come in the morning. I think, too, this is, not, this is not a mistake. This isn't some kind of coincidence. When you go up a mountain in the morning, I think you expect, if there's not cloud cover, you expect to see light. You expect to see the sun rising. And up on the mountain, if you've ever been up on a mountain, when it's clear, right, when you don't have the haze and the fog, the cloud cover, um, there's, there's great light. And because of the, you know, the thinner air, the thinness of the atmosphere, it's, it's hotter, it's brighter. And I think we're supposed to connect those things in some form. I'm not saying that, that you know, this was just Moses seeing the sunrise and saying, look, this is the glory of God, and then it's changed in the text. No, he, there, there was cloud cover. The Lord's glory descended in a cloud. And yet, I think we're supposed to think that this glory of God, the, the light of the Lord, is much like the sun in that way. So how does he make it known? How, how does he shine forth to Moses? says in verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness, which comes right in the middle of what the Lord proclaims, becomes a kind of tagline that's used throughout the rest of Scripture in order to summarize, so to speak, the character and nature of God. 2 Samuel 2, verse 6 says this, May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Hased and Amen. This steadfast love and truth. Psalm 25, 10 says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is just, I'm just pulling out a couple. We don't have time to cover all of the the places that these things are mentioned in a way to sum up who God is. It's all based upon the Lord's self-revelation. 
And why do I say that? Because I want you to keep that in your mind. Because John, in John 1, uses this phrase, or at least almost definitely is using this phrase. Uh, it's, it's obviously in Greek as opposed to in Hebrew. But he says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to turn with me, we are in John. We will be for a long time. So if you just want to keep note of that and always turn there, we'll be in John 1 for a little while. Uh, but we'll start in John 1. We'll be reading today verses 1 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. My mom... It, is somebody who uh, always wants to know the end of a story before she starts. She loves mystery novels. She loves watching, you know, Perot and others on the BBC. She loves that sort of thing, but she always wants to know the end first. She's quite literally somebody who at times will read the end of a book before she starts. And she much prefers to read a book when she already knows everything that's going to happen. She doesn't want to wait for some kind of surprise at the end. Well, John, the Gospel of John, doesn't leave anything like that, right? Some books of Scripture, you have a kind of slow build to a point of revelation that all of a sudden everything's made clear and you can read everything in light of what happened. And, and in a sense, that's still true of John. It, it goes somewhere. It builds. But John 
puts everything he's going to say right at the front. Right? Right from the start, you get all of it. He has the ending right in the beginning. It's not really the end. He just has all of it. He, everything that he says in this prologue that we just read is something that he's going to keep talking about and developing later on. But he doesn't leave anything for the imagination. He just tells you. You find all of the major themes, light and life, truth, the word, witness, rejection and belief, new birth, the superiority of Jesus to Moses, the divinity of Christ. All of it is here and even more explicitly stated than it will be at other times. So what we're going to do is is work through this prologue slowly and unpack some of those themes up front, just as John wants for us, so that as we read through the rest of the gospel, there, those, those categories, those themes are already in our mind. Today, we're starting with what I think is at least arguably the primary theme that runs through the whole gospel, and that's the theme of light. It shows up over and over again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Congregation of Christ Jesus has come as the fullest and truest revelation of the glory of God. He has made everything known. He is the light that brings life. And so may the Holy Spirit of God help us to see that glory, to see his light as we meditate upon these words. I want you to think for a moment about what light is. When when John speaks of light, one of the things that we're supposed to do is have some of the, 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 the conceptual categories in our mind of light. What is it? What what, what does it do? What do you think of when you think of light? Well, light uh, brings life. It's a sign of life. It comes from outside of us. It reveals things to us. It warms. It exposes. It burns. It quite literally allows us to see. It divides It illuminates in the sense of bringing knowledge. It's linked very closely to day versus night when there is no light. It's tied to the very idea of glory. When you think of glory, what is it? Well, like something shining, right? Bright, uh, uh, something that is brilliant. There's at least four things that I want to pull out for us from John here as it describes Jesus Christ as the light. Again, it's, John doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't explain to you this idea of light and then slowly work to the point where he says, and this light is Jesus Christ. He makes it clear. The word is Jesus Christ. The glory of the Father is Jesus Christ. The light is Jesus Christ. The Son of God is Jesus Christ. It's all right here. So first, we're told that as the light, Jesus brings life. 
verse 4 says this, and uh, I'll even preface this, just listen to this, the way that, that this is poetically stated, where you have, a, you have a repetition of three words. You have life, life, light, light, darkness, darkness. Right? So, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there's, there's life, and that life is the light of men. Light and life are tied closely together. And you know this, actually, that, that life and light are so closely tied. This is a parable that God has placed all around you in creation. Physical life is only possible because of the light of the sun, the warmth of the sun. Right? This planet would be just a cold, dark rock if it were not for the light that we're given. Right? And sure, people can still live in dark places, and, and you may have some life that exists where, where light doesn't get to them, uh, but that's still only because somewhere there is light, right? because light is necessary it's necessary because of the warmth that it gives, lest we die. It's needed for, for everything that we eat. It gives us vitamin D. It allows our eyes to function. There's, there's so much that we have that's only possible because of light. So the fullness of physical life is made possible ultimately by the sun, by the S-U-N sun. Likewise, True spiritual life is only possible by the light, which is the sun, S-O-N, sun. And don't misunderstand this as spiritual. doesn't mean that, you know, the, the light that Christ is, the life that he gives is disconnected from, you know, the, the physical reality, earthly life. No, he, he is necessary for that as well. Our physical life is only possible because of his existence. In him you live, move, and have your being. In him all things hold together. So it's not to say that physical life is, is somehow outside of, of what Christ gives as the light. It's just to say that there are also higher things, greater things that the light gives us, a greater life. Life, you can be alive physically, and yet we know you can be dead spiritually. You can be without true life, disconnected from purpose and meaning and the, the teleological end that you are made for. You can be totally without that and yet be physically alive. Now, he's upholding all of that, but, but that's spiritual life, that higher life, is something that only comes in him, by his light. The deepest and truest purpose that you were made for, the, the, the fullest possible joy that you can have, it's only in him. To be alive inside and out is only possible because of the true light, which is Jesus Christ. It's only by believing in his name and so coming to know the fullest light and glory of God. But even that, we, you know, we'll, we will get to the glory of God, uh, which is also prominent in this text. But the point here is simply that the, the light 
of Jesus is the only way to true life, true inner life, illumination, true knowledge, growth into what you were made to be. All of this only comes through him. And we see that over and over throughout the Gospel of John. Secondly, as the light, Jesus has come from outside of this world. He came to the world, not from the world. He's from somewhere else. We're told, starting in verse 6, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is full of of all kinds of connotations, things that that are going to show up again, over and over again. But it at least means that this true light, true life, and revelation, and knowledge, and, and growth, and fullness, it can only be found as it comes from outside of the world. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from man. It has to come from outside of the world. It's not inside of you that you will find light and life. Right? And again, we know this. This is a parable that God has put in creation. If you could, theoretically, kids, if you could just turn your eyes inside of your head, right? If your eyeballs could just go back and you could look inside of your body, what would you see? Nothing, right? Because there's no light. There's, you don't have light from within. It has to come from outside of you. This is a parable that we have in creation itself. And that's true throughout the world. Anyone that's ever claimed to bring light, to bring enlightenment and truth, who just looked inside of themselves and found it, right? It, it came from them. It came from the world. It, it's a lie. They are yet in darkness. They're just repackaging darkness because there is no light in man. There is no light in the world. Spiritually speaking, apart from the coming of Christ, the world has been in darkness. It has been a place of confusion, of depravity, of, of chaos, of, of blind leading blind, right? Walking around without being able to see, without knowing where you're going, without knowing the truth, without knowing what is right and wrong, doing what is right in your own eyes. But now, John says, light has come into the world, right? When John was bearing witness, the light was coming into the world because it is Jesus Christ, the source of, of truth and wisdom and revelation and healing. Uh, it, the true source of it all has come. This is a light from outside of the world. We, you know, we just had uh, a time throughout the Advent season and Christmas season that we often heard this text. What The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Right? In the incarnation of Christ, 
We have the beginning of day. We have the beginning of the, the sun rising. We have light actually coming into the dark world. The marvelous light of God shining into and taking over the kingdom of darkness. The fact that the light has now come into the world means that anyone claiming to be light, to be the source of truth and wisdom, to be the source of that revelation and healing, anyone that claims that for themselves, they are also yet in darkness because you can only reflect the light. You don't make it. It doesn't come from you. John was a, a witness to the light. It is God, not man, who said, let there be light. It's God who's given it. You could think of what we are as people, what we're to be as the church, as being much like the moon. We don't have the light in ourselves. Our, our role is to reflect the light. There were many in the ministry of Christ who uh, thought of themselves as enlightened, as if they did have some special light in themselves, that they were bestowers of light. But what we see time and time again is that they're in the dark. In fact, most of the time that these characters show up in the Gospel of John, or at least a lot of the time, they're quite literally coming to Jesus at night. Nicodemus, a, a leader of the people, comes to Jesus at night. He shows up at night because he is yet in darkness when he comes. They come and they arrest Christ in the garden at night. They come by torchlight, but they come at night. They still live in darkness. That's the point that John makes, that those who reject the true light, who rebel against the true light, who, who try to hide themselves from the true light, well, they are in darkness. The truth is that you can only be a witness to the light. You can point to it. You can reflect it. You can be set ablaze by the light and be a kind of lamp, as John the Baptist will be called later on in this gospel. Uh, but you can't create it. That's the point. True light, true healing, true revelation, everything that it represents that we've talked about, it had to come from God. It had to come from outside of the world. We can only receive it. Thirdly, as the light, Jesus reveals the glory of God. Everywhere that glory shows up in Scripture, conceptually it's tied to light in some way. It's, it's strange because it is, it's light, and, and often uh, it is the light of God, but it comes in a cloud when His glory descends, and it's fire, and there's a kind of weight to it. It's like weighty light. These are some of the, the ideas that show up whenever you read about the glory of God. The scripture speaks of the light of his glory. So glory shines. It's brilliant, as we've said. It, it, and it makes others shine, too. Think of Moses after he's met with the Lord on top of the mountain, in the glory cloud, 
and he comes down, and what happens? His face is shining. It makes other things shine as well. The glory of the Lord is often manifested as fire that comes down from heaven. And so when we read about glory, we should think of light, and especially in this context, right, where where light keeps showing up, and then John begins talking about glory, he's still speaking of the light. Read with me verse 14. We'll read from 14 to the end again, and just listen to what he says about the glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He has revealed him. The Word, the the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, he dwelt among us. He came and he dwelt among us. Literally, he he tabernacled. He set up his tent among us. We're supposed to think of the tabernacle. Which was what? It was where God dwelt with his people. It's where the glory of God would descend as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire by night. And it would fill this place, this tent. And John says, he is the tabernacle of God. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And so we have seen his glory, his light. Jesus is the fullest revelation of the glory of God, right? And what is his glory like? What is his light like? It is is the, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I already mentioned this in our Old Testament reading. When John says grace and truth, when he puts those two things together, especially in the context of talking about Moses and the tabernacle, He is almost undoubtedly using that phrase just in the Greek that we've already talked about, that steadfast love and faithfulness, right? When the Lord declares his glory, when he declares who he is and he reveals his character, he reveals that he is a God full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And what John says is that in Jesus Christ, the fullest glory of God, the fullest revelation of that steadfast love and that faithfulness is seen in him. He shows it all. He's revealed it all. Jesus is the fullest self-revelation of the Father. What Moses saw was partial, remember. It was veiled. It was covered. Even the glory he reflected had to be covered and veiled. But now, the fullness of that glory has been revealed to mankind. It has been revealed to you. The sun has risen. It is now day. And so, the call is to come out of darkness. Come out into that light. We are no longer in darkness. The fullest manifestation of the character and nature of God, it's not hidden somewhere. 
it's not something you have to go and find out for yourself. Right? It's, it's not something that, that we will never quite know. We'll never figure out. It's, it's too far above. No, Christ has come. He has made it known fully and perfectly. The glory of God is on full display in the person and work of Christ. And not just his back, not just what's left over, the aftermath of his glory, but the fullness of his glory in the face of Christ. So the law was given through Moses, true grace and revelation, grace and truth in their fullness have now come in Jesus Christ. We're told here again, reminding us of that passage we read in Exodus, that no one has ever seen God. But John doesn't stop there, right? When, when Moses is on the mount, he's told, you cannot see God. John says no one has seen God, but what does he add? The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has revealed him. He has made it possible to, in essence, see God, to know him. God became man. The Son made known the Father. All right? Not by revealing himself to the physical eye. There are plenty of people that we'll see throughout the Gospel of John who saw Jesus, who saw Jesus raise people from the dead, and they were still in darkness. They were still blind. They still didn't see. Even the apostles, when they had been with him and believed him throughout his ministry, they still didn't quite understand that in seeing him, they could see the Father, as Jesus will tell them. So just seeing with the, the physical eye, that's not how he's revealed himself. That can be denied. Seeing is not believing. But believing is seeing. To truly see him is to see the light, to be filled with the light, to know Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God. Through him to know God fully. You can't see anything without light. Right? You can't see anything at all. But the light has come. Jesus Christ has come, the only God, the Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You could say that, that Jesus is the exegesis of God, the, where we get our word exegesis, right, to, to, uh, to pull something out of a text and explain it or exposit it and make it known, make it understandable. Right, we get that word from the word that's used here, that he made him known. That the only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has exegeted God for us. He has made God understandable to us. Right, he, has, he has come and dwelt among us in such a way that we can truly know God. That's what Jesus does. He interprets God for us. True spiritual enlightenment, then, only comes through him because he is the light of the glory of God. He is the image of the invisible God. And so where Moses 
could not see the face of God, we can see the face of Christ declared in his word, revealing to us the face of the Father, right? the, the fullness of grace and truth, the fullness of the character of God. Lastly, fourthly, as the light, Jesus overcomes darkness. The light shines in the darkness, we're told in verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think this could be taken almost as that kind of the, the, the full statement of what the Gospel of John is about. It, it begins this way. It begins in the beginning. Right? When you think of in the beginning, you think of what book of the Bible? Beginnings. Genesis, right? And you think of God's first words in the beginning, which were what? Let there be light. And so it begins with light. It begins with this kind of declaration of a, of a new creation, of a new day, of the light that's come into the world. And the gospel is going to end with a story of Jesus meeting with the apostles as the sun is rising. Right? As, as they, they are meeting with him for the third time after his resurrection. And finally, some of the things that they've misunderstood, that they've been in the dark about, become clear. And so the sun rises. And so from beginning to end, you have light and light. And in between, there are times when it's dark, where there is darkness, and yet the light wins. Every time, the light will cast the darkness out. Congregation of Christ, Jesus is the light. If you can't see that, you have to wonder if you're still in darkness, or if you're still just under some kind of a veil or a cloud. You have to ask, what, what is blinding your eyes? Right? What is keeping you from seeing the majesty of the glory of God? Right? Where have you uh, yet, where are you yet to renounce the devil in all of his works? Right? Where do you still entertain the kingdom of darkness? Where are you holding on to sin, blinding your own eyes? You know, there's going to be a point in the gospel where, where the Pharisees will say to Christ that we're not blind, are we? Right? Are you, are you saying that we're blind? And, and Jesus says, you're not blind, uh, because if you were just blind and in a sense of ignorance, uh, then you would not receive the judgment that you're going to receive. But because you say that you can see, uh, you will have the judgment of one who should be able to see. But there you have a, a kind of self-blinding, right? There's a way that you can, you can blind yourself by your sin, by your refusal to repent of your sin, by wanting to hold on to that more than you want the light. You think of one who who is in darkness so long that they don't want to be in the light. They don't want the experience of the light. You have to ask, where, where might that be true of you? Right? Where is the cloud of doubt hanging heavy over your head? So that even when you try to look up, you don't think that there's anything beyond the gray, beyond the cloud. There are different ways that even if you have come out into the light where 
it may seem dim to you. But whatever that is, whatever it may be, and even if you are still truly in spiritual darkness, the message of the Gospel of John is that the light has come. The sun has risen and it is shining. And so the call then is to ascend the mountain of God's word. Even if you know the true light, even if you have that grace and truth, you know it. The reality is that you've just begun. You've just begun to to experience all of the, the goodness, the grace, the truth that is available to you in the light of his glory. The depth of the glory of Christ which he has truly revealed, it, it keeps going. It shines brighter. And as you feel the warmth and as you see the light, uh, don't stop. Right? You're not finished yet. We're not done yet. That's why we're here, still basking in the light, right? still enjoying the comfort of this light, the warmth of the word. As the light has now come into the world, it also means that you should not lose hope. As you look out at the world and you see darkness, you see the kingdom of darkness, as you look at the the sin in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life, you see something that may truly be dark. You could describe it that way. But the truth is that the light shines even in the darkness. And the darkness has not and it will not overcome it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you shine? Would you shine your light upon us, revealing to us the glory of God, helping us to truly see and to know you, helping us to stop looking in ourselves or in this world for that true and ultimate purpose in life, and rather help us to find that only in you, Lord, we do believe. Help our unbelief. We do trust you, and we know that you, the true light, will ultimately overcome even the darkness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.